You're listening to Menders with clinical psychologist and leadership consultant, Dr. Nicola DePaul. Each week, get a dose of real-world inspiration from free-thinking leaders, top clinicians, healthcare innovators, and myself. Looking for quick fixes or standard management tools? Try someplace else. Motivated to maximize the resilience and diversity of your team? Sustain your momentum as a leader and transform your healthcare system? Welcome to Menders. Menders, Season 2, Episode 4, Elevating Historically Underrepresented or Lower Power Community Members. Today's conversation is really starting to think about how can we take care of those who have less power in our systems and elevate them, elevate their voices, and give them a voice at the upper level of leadership as much as that is possible so that low, like members of the community who historically have less power or less privilege or who are less listened to begin to experience having an equal voice and their needs are given additional weight because they really have the power to transform our healthcare systems. So I wanted to just share a couple of stories as we're thinking about this. Um, But before I get into those, this is what I want you to be thinking about. Who in your community isn't at the table when you sit down to make big decisions? And it might even be simple decisions, you know, how things work, daily functioning, um, how things are communicated. But who who is not there? Who is missing? And start thinking about how can I invite those folks in? How can I create opportunities for these community members to share their stories, to share their concerns, to share their values, and not just to share those things, but to have those elements of who they are welcomed. So we talked about creating a sense of belonging when we were talking about cultivating community. And this is really along similar lines. How can you cultivate a sense of belonging and increase the weightiness of the perspectives of those individuals who have less power in your system. So that is the core of what I'm going to encourage you to think about today. So first, a story. A dear friend of mine and former colleague, Anita Vernacrofts, uh, originally shared this story in a, a previous episode of Mentors. So look it up and listen to Anita share the whole story. It is fantastic. But in essence, what she shared was this. There was a graduate student at the University of Washington who was concerned that the environmental services staff or janitorial staff, housekeeping staff, were not being given appropriate level of support and recognition and also weren't necessarily being listened to by the greater university community. And so what she did was she started out by feeding these people. 
So just bringing them snacks or treats or something to demonstrate, hey, we see you. We value you. We see your presence. You are recognized as a core, integral part of our community. Hey, Menders, if you're listening to this and you're a healthcare leader struggling to get a handle on the metrics that matter and you're motivated to improve employee engagement, workplace satisfaction, and overall well-being, listen up. Whether you have a tiny system or a large, complex department, there is a clear path you can take to go from burnout culture to cultural renewal. Go to MendingHealthSystems.com to check out my organizational well-being assessment. This mini course will walk you through an organizational self-evaluation that will help you identify your next steps to boost organizational well-being today. So pause this episode and head to MendingHealthSystems.com right now. And then she moved on from giving them snacks. She passed out cameras. And this was right when COVID was starting. So she gave them all cameras and she encouraged them to take photographs of what their lives, their daily work really looked like. And so the environmental services staff went about their day-to-day work, their everyday lives, but they started to document their experiences. And then after a while, the photographs were brought together in an exhibit for the whole university community to see. And the perspectives and the experiences of these environmental services housekeeping staff were elevated. And their experiences went from hidden to being placed on view. And I'm not saying that that is the same as giving these employees you know, a leg up or reducing the hierarchy between environmental services and maybe other elements of the campus staff. But their concerns were more visible. Their humanity was more visible and their perspective was more visible. And that was powerful and maybe not sufficient, but allowing people to be truly seen and heard is what so many of us really want. And if nothing else, it's a starting place to create a really powerful foundation that we can build on. So keeping that story in mind, come back to this original question. Who is missing? Who is not at your table? Who's not there when you're making decisions? And who needs to be? And what can you start to do to create opportunities for these community members who might be less visible, who may historically have less power? And, you know, in our organizations, this could be any number of people, could be our environmental services staff, could be our administrative or scheduling staff, could be our LPNs, whoever it is in your institution, um, could also reflect people who come from historically marginalized or lower power identities. Um, You know, whether that be racial or ethnic or religious minorities, whatever it happens to be. But start to be thinking about 
all the elements of your diverse community. And you might even start to recognize that there's so much more diversity within your system than you necessarily were aware of. And I know that we're all talking about diversity. It's a major buzzword and, you know, DEI and everybody's in favor of that, which is great. And sometimes we forget to enact power sharing in really practical and everyday ways. So this is really what I want you to start to think about. I recommend that when you're putting together a leadership team or when you're thinking about making any changes in your healthcare organization, you take the time that you need to figure out who is not at the table, at least not typically represented at the table, and build as diverse a community of decision makers as possible. And I'm not just talking about getting stakeholders in a room. I'm really talking about people who are given decision-making power and making sure that those individuals are as diverse as possible. Because having more diversity in the room strengthens your organization, increases psychological safety, and promotes resilience within your employee community. So I'd love to just share a story that I think will help you see why this is so important from my perspective. So a while back, I had gotten a new job at a healthcare system, and I've been involved with training pretty much my whole career. So I was involved in this training program, but pretty new. And I started to notice some interesting cultural practices within this facility, some things just kind of struck me as not particularly inclusive and creating an environment that didn't feel welcoming or psychologically safe for, you know, a a new staff member, but in particular for the incoming trainees that we had in this particular program and facility. So one of the big things that I noticed was that at um, monthly staff meetings, the trainees were discussed. So maybe halfway or two thirds the way through these meetings, we'd kick out the trainees and leave just full-time staff members present. And then we'd talk about them. And things seemed to devolve pretty frequently into kind of complaining about, you know, this or that, lack of professionalism, um, moments where you know, maybe a trainee had an an unguarded moment or wasn't as on top of something as they could have been. And that kind of, that got discussed within the whole staff, which was a pretty large number of people. And at the time, I also was serving as a, a group supervisor for these lovely trainees. And so we actually had a, some opportunities to talk about what this was like for them. And it became really clear that this felt really uncomfortable. And I think it's, it's fair to say that people in training positions have significantly less power than people who are in full-time staff roles. And I want to just make it clear that I think all trainees expect to be discussed, expect to be evaluated, and yet there was something happening here that caused them to feel pretty uncomfortable with this evaluative process. And as a full-time staff member coming into this scenario, um, I was certainly used to meeting and talking about trainees and trainees' progress, um, but in a pretty defined setting. 
where things stayed professional and were really respectful of trainees development and certainly weren't taking place in a uh, large open open setting where people were simply being openly critiqued which is how this setting felt over time after getting a lot of feedback from the trainees i was able to bring their feedback to the individuals in charge of the training program and we worked together to simply create a different venue to discuss trainee progress that was more limited and that only involved direct supervisors so it was a subtle and simple programmatic shift but the impact was powerful so not only did the trainees start to report that they felt so much safer within the training program because they knew that their flaws and foibles and faults were really just being discussed by an intimate number of staff and um And they no longer felt like they were being critiqued without any particular reason. But the interesting thing to me was that staff also started to report that they were feeling safer, more valued, and more cared about in the system. And that to me is pretty remarkable and and highlights or illustrates why it is so critical to pay attention to the needs of people who historically have less power. Because when we are caring for people who have less power in our systems, we are creating systems that are safer for everyone, more satisfying, that promote relationship building. So I wanted to share this story just to demonstrate that when we take the time to care for, involve, and elevate the voices of those with less power, we are not only creating a really robust, safe, and resilient system for those individuals who are such valuable members of our community, but we are also creating a safe, resilient, healthy system for people who are in majority or positions of power. And when we care for people who have historically had less power, we are creating a much more beautiful and caring environment that is really allows everyone to prosper. So I wanted to share another story. Um, Another colleague of mine also shared this story on on Menders, Um, but Dr. Simha Reddy. So Simha was sharing that in his team, you know, he works with primary care in primary care, uh, serving uh, veterans who are experiencing homelessness. And one of the things that's really important to him is to make sure that every member of his team has an active voice. And this is especially true when processes are changed. So when they're trying something new, different, challenging, they're trying to improve the process. And he shared a story about how he went to his scheduler and wanted to know like, hey, things aren't going so well. What is going on? And that was such a powerful moment because the scheduler was able to say, oh, these are some real challenges that we're experiencing. And these are some things that we're not talking about as a team, but that are really important and that are important to me and that are impacting my workflow. And by paying attention to the scheduler, 
they were able to really transform how their team was doing things in powerful ways. So from my perspective, when we start to pay attention to the folks who have less power, or at least who historically have less power in our institutions, we actually get far more creative solutions to some of the challenges that we're experiencing. When we're only paying attention to our perspective, we miss so much of the puzzle. So it's really important to slow down, to look at who's at the table, to ask who's missing, and then to invite those people in, not just to be present for the process of decision-making, but really to share their perspectives so that their perspectives are given the weight that they deserve. And when they are present in that really engaged and empowered way, we all benefit because their creativity is so powerful. And I want to just make another note on this. I was talking to a administrative supervisor not too long ago. And she was sharing with me that no matter how many degrees she has, even if it's the equivalent of, say, the executive of a facility, her role is not necessarily seen as being equivalent to that of her peers who might supervise a different area that's considered to be perhaps more glamorous or more important within her healthcare system. And I don't think that her experience is unique which is why I'm bringing it up. I think it's really important for us to recognize when our own biases, and maybe that's a bias towards education or towards a particular role or towards gender or, you know, a cultural identity, whatever it happens to be, when we bring those biases into the room, they impact our decision-making and how much of the whole of any situation or system we're able to see. And I don't want you to take my statement as meaning that you shouldn't have biases, which I mean, ideally, sure, none of us would, but guess what? We're all human and humans have bias. That's just the reality. We can't actually get rid of that. But what we can do is start to become more aware of our biases, of our implicit biases, and start to bring that awareness with us when we have these interactions and bring that awareness into how we think about ourselves and the other people who are present in our systems. And that awareness of our bias allows us, really empowers us, gives us a springboard to interact in really different ways, to empower others, to share our power. And so that ultimately, that's what I would encourage you to do. I think for me, power sharing is really what this is about, because we're not able to create transformation when we hold all the power or all of the cards. It would be nice, but that's It's a very top-down approach that's ultimately very limited and far less creative. So when we let go, maybe let go of our attachment to particular outcomes, become aware of our biases, 
and start to engage with others in the system in a way that we're giving away, sharing our power, elevating their voices and bringing them to the table, we can create really powerful and creative solutions that we'd never get to on our own. So take some time over the next week or so to really consider this. How might you start to change just a little bit to ensure that all members of your community are represented? And of course, going beyond equality and embracing equity, how can you make sure that certain members who have historically less power have the leg up that they need to be equal, truly equal members or equitable members of your community and that their voices are given extra weight. So I wish you all the best as you think that through. Take good care. Thank you for listening to Menders. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to head on over to MendingHealthSystems.com to get started creating cultural transformation for your healthcare team today. Let's create transformation magic.